Another episode of the USMNT Thoughts Podcast. Welcome in. I'm Dalton Kemper along with Vince Maduri, of course, USMNT Thoughts on Twitter. I'm at Dalton Kemper on Twitter. Right before we started recording, Vince, we were just kind of chit-chatting as we usually do. And you noticed my wonderful hat, my very wonderful hat. People, I will assume that 95% of people listening to this podcast have seen Ted Lasso. It is a hat that has a uh, the believe sign on it of course that was in the locker room of afc richmond it's a wonderful hat this is not an advertisement but there's a lot of ted lasso merch on the warner brother warner warner brothers uh shop so if you look that up a lot of ted lasso merch uh and this is one of my favorite hats yeah i didn't even know about this until you brought it up at the beginning of of our conversation tonight but I am literally going on this website after we're done here and probably buying at least seven or eight things. It, it's, <laughs> it's happening. There's incredible things on there. There's like mugs, there's scarves, mm-hmm. there's t-shirts, sweatshirts, whatever you want. Like I said, this is not an ad, but I think the merch yeah. is cool. So <laughs> all, all I can say is the football is life mug is, yeah. is about to be mine. It will be at my house later this week. And it's going to be on every single Zoom call I have at work for the rest of the time. Yeah, one of my uh, friends got the Roy Kent replica jersey. I'm a big fan of that too. Uh, there's a, an Obisanya, Sam Obisanya replica jersey. So all kinds of good stuff on there if you check it out. Uh, it's like wbshop.com uh, and you can find it all on there. But Vince, to get started here, we have our question to start off the episode as we do every week. Sometimes it's kind of soccer related, sometimes it's not. This one, though, still kind of timely to MLS. Very timely, actually, I would argue. Is this the year an MLS team wins the CONCACAF Champions League? Yes, absolutely. I'm going on the bold take plane here. Um, we, we're going to win it. The league is going to win it this year. It's, it's going to finally happen. Listen, there's... I think we're going to dive into this a little bit in more detail later in the show, but I'm going to go ahead and just set the table and saying there's really only one Mexican team I'm concerned about. And that's Cruz Azul. Cruz Azul is, if you're familiar with Mexican soccer at all, is known for choking. Um, I am totally okay with this. Like, I, I think that we're going to win it this year. Pumas is, is a, a historic team, not exactly the same Pumas of, of yesteryear. They had a really good run um, in the playoffs last year in the, in the Liga, but I just don't see them uh, being strong enough to beat some of these other teams like New York City FC. So we'll see what happens, man. Yeah, I would agree. I think I think this is the year. I've been saying this for a couple of years, though, but it seems we just get a little closer, a little closer every time. Um, the part that worries me, of course, is the preseason part of it for MLS teams that right now – it is a preseason tournament and teams are ramping up and trying to get into form rather than a lot of these other teams who have already been playing. Um, So that's the tough part about CCL for any MLS team, but I don't think it matters this year. I think we're good. I think that one of these teams, like the revolution would probably be my pick right now. Uh, We obviously have not seen them on a field for what, three, four months. So it's hard to know. But the Revolution, I have such a strong team. They've brought in reinforcements over the offseason. 
not to sleep on the Seattle Sounders who made some moves of their own and uh, New York City FC, the champions. I think this is the year. I agree with you. I think this is the year MLS gets it done. And I'm super excited uh, that it's back. If it's like a little teaser of MLS being back, we're not quite yeah. there. Uh, February 26th and is whenever MLS is officially back. But seeing New York City FC and Montreal playing and then uh, coming up uh, later in the week, it'll be Colorado, Seattle, New, Eng- New England. It's just a little teaser. It's a little teaser of what we can expect for the MLS season. And that's super cool, too. Yeah. And for anybody interested, we, we're recording this on a Tuesday night. Um, the New York City game has already kicked off. I'm watching it on tape delay. So I have sworn Dalton to secrecy. I think he knows yep. the score. I'm not going to look at his face as I'm talking about this because I don't want it ruined. <laughs> um, as soon as we're done recording tonight, I'm going to be watching that game. So uh, you guys might know a little bit more than we do by the time you're listening to this. But I feel fairly confident um, that New York City, Seattle, and you're right. Like I'm a New England Revolution season ticket holder. I I I think New England has a very good team. Um, but if it was if it was me picking who I think is going to go the deepest, I think Seattle or New York City will probably go the deepest this year. Over New England, huh? Yeah, I just think that both of them are on the right side of the bracket. That's that's, that's going to be the key. I think New England also will say this just came out. New England already through to the quarterfinals uh there was some issues with visas on the uh, opposite side being able to play in the u.s uh so moving on for new england into the quarterfinals congratulations to them without playing any games uh into so, the quarterfinals. so good more so good that so good they don't even have to play man that's, a, that's survive what in advance survive, survive in, in advance. advance bruce arena knows how it goes um with that we'll head right into the first part of our episode of course it's always our first segment it's usmnt in the deep end talking about the united states men's national team player pool everything involved with that what players are doing around the world big news involved with players and is there any bigger news than a united states men's national team player becoming a world champion Christian Pulisic in Chelsea defeated Palmeiras of Brazil to uh, win the Club World Cup. Big news, he's the first USMNT player to play in and win the Cup. Uh, Very exciting news. Christian Pulisic is now a world champion on top of a Champions League champion, on top of a UEFA Nations League champion, I should add. Um, So... So, or not UEFA, I'm, it's CONCACAF. What am I saying? CONCACAF Nations League uh, champion. But Christian Pulisic just added to this trophy case. He's won the USMNT Men's Player of the Year three out of the last five years. Um, Christian Pulisic just keeps adding to the trophy case. He played 90 minutes for Chelsea in that win because he came on in the 30th minute and then played to the 100. Or Never mind. Uh, I'm losing it, Vince. Um, <laughs> he did. He did play 90, came on in the 30th, and then Chelsea won it in extra time. Uh, so he played a whole 90 minutes. Christian Pulisic looked pretty good, came in for an injured Mason, Mason Mount, but the, the trend continues upwards and very good to see Pulisic get some game time. Yeah, and, and he, he looked extremely effective throughout the game. The fact that he didn't get on the score sheet or add an assist um, doesn't really change the fact to me he played a really good game. Hopefully that means that he'll be able to play in attacking positions more often for the rest of the season. This has not changed my opinion. I do think that he should leave in the summertime. 
I think he should probably look for a new situation. Um, but with that said, he played really well. He adds another trophy case, trophy to his uh, to his trophy case, and I think that it's 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 good, right? Like he's raising the profile of American soccer. He's the trailblazer. He's he gets another first, um, you know, American to play in a in a club World Cup final. He's gonna he adds that another first to his resume. Um, and that's really what his entire, his entire MO is, is this being the kind of trailblazer for this team. So I think that that is a good thing, but I, it just, if you, if you read the ESPN article, um, where he was talking about like what motivates him at this point, it seems like he's really getting over the first American to do X, you know, the youngest American to do Y, um, thing. And I, I completely agree. Like at this point, he's kind of accomplished all of those things at this point. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's time to just go find a team where he's going to be the center of attention and really be the match winner for that team. Maybe he has to take a step back. Maybe it's a team that's, that's a, like a Europa league to fringe champions league team. Um, but I just think that that's a, that's a better spot for him right now where he can kind of add that, that match winning mentality um, to, to his game versus what he does now, which is essentially a role player for Chelsea. Yeah. That's something me and you have both been on the side of is that Christian Pulisic is good enough to be that person on the right team. Um, so it would be great to see him as the focal point of an attack uh, for a, like you said, fringe champions league team, even or Europa league team somewhere where he's going to be playing week in week out. And he's going to be the focus of the team. Also in that ESPN interview, uh, something that I think we both had tweeted out that article um, about how Christian really opened up about the pressure he does face with the United States men's national team, something me and you discussed and kind of speculated um, in previous episodes about he really does feel like it's all on him and like he has to be the guy. He opened up in that ESPN interview and was like, it's basically it's true. Like he felt like he feels still to this day at, at a lot of times feels like the pressure is on him to be that guy to lead the team to victory. And he also admitted that he knows he doesn't have to do that anymore because of the players around him and the team around him with the U.S. But it's still something in his mind that he's dealing with. And it is a lot of pressure whenever he was heralded as our American soccer hero. It's something that he still carries with him. And it is a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an extremely difficult situation for him to be in consistently having to play that role of savior is not something that anyone really deals with very well, particularly like as much as we joke about this, right. Christian Pulisic is not a generational player. He's not killing Mbappe. He's not Erling Holland. Um, so, so to kind of put that type of pressure on a player like him is just not fair. I think what he needs to be is fit well within the system that we have, because at this point we have a lot of Christian politics. And, and that this is something that was talked about by Jurgen Klinsmann a while ago, where he said, you know, it, it, Christian was just coming up with Dortmund and they were asking him, um, you know, the media was asking him like, Oh, what, what's the possibilities for him? And what he said was like, America needs 
50 Christian politics to, to kind of take that next step. It, it doesn't take just one. You kind of have to stop putting your, hanging your hat on the one savior type of role and instead start thinking more globally of saying like, look, we need a team of players. We need to have all of our chips. We need to have all of our, our bets down on the table because if that's the case, we have more lottery tickets at our disposal. We can actually kind of go and cash those out at some point. Um, and that's really where we're at as a national team at this point. Like we don't need Christian Pulisic to be the savior. We need Christian Pulisic to be the best Christian Pulisic he can be and fit that within the system that we're playing. But Weston McKinney's having an incredible time at Juventus. Tyler Adams, who's about to be sold to a Premier League team, probably. Um, you've got Gio Reyna, who might be the highest ceiling of all of them. You have lots of different players that have extremely high ceilings and are going to have long, fruitful careers in Europe. We don't necessarily need Christian to kind of try to be that savior role anymore. Instead, fit within the team, be that beacon of light, that trailblazer still. You're the first guy that really did it, but really kind of fit yourself within the team now. Yeah, yeah, 100% agree. And it's something he's working on. He knows it, um, but it's got to be hard to break out of that mindset that he probably already was burrowed into. Um, so fair to him. Um, I'm glad he opened up about it and talked about the pressures he faces because we all kind of assumed, um, which, but it was good to hear from his mouth uh, the different pressures he's facing. Last thing about the uh, FIFA Club World Cup and Christian Pulisic winning it, Craig Burnley, ESPN, while we're discussing it, uh, basically tweeted out how, how the how the Club World Cup is a small trophy and Chelsea should rather have bigger aspirations of winning the Premier League as Man City are 16 points ahead of them. Um, it was a sad tweet. It was really sad. I hate this mindset that we've burrowed into of the only trophies that matter are the league title and let, if you're in a competitive league because if you're PSG – you're not supposed to care about league Un. You're not, you're like, that's a given. Why would you care about that? And uh, if you're Bayern, you should win Bundesliga. Um, but we've burrowed ourselves into this mindset of no trophy matters, except really for the champions league and competitive European leagues. Um, if you win your cup competition, sure. That's cool. Um, FIFA club world cup. You're not playing other teams in Europe. It doesn't matter. I hate that mentality. I'm of the side of you try to win trophies and it's a success when you win them and it should be celebrated as such. Um, Liverpool, the team that I uh, root for, the team that I love with my whole heart, <laughs> obviously plays in a couple weeks against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup final. And I'm supposed to believe, I'm probably going to be told to believe that it's not a big trophy. Sure, the Carabao Cup, not a huge trophy at all. I'm going to be incredibly happy if we beat Chelsea and win a trophy. That is a trophy this season. And then, of course, you have the FA Cup and everything. They all matter in my book. And it's a trophy is a trophy. And when you look back on people's careers, you count those trophies and you look at all the trophies they won. And it's, it's, a, it's a feather in Thomas Tuchel's cap, another one, that he won a FIFA Club World Cup with Chelsea, a team that had never won that trophy before. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you just said, Dalton. I'm going to expound on, on it in two different ways. The first way is currently it's the only method of, of, of naming a world champion at the club level. So at this point, you can't name a world champion other than through the Club World Cup. Now, does the Club World Cup format have flaws? Of course it does. You've got teams starting in the semifinals. That's a problem, right? So I, I've, I've, 
I've criticized FIFA for a lot of their different um, ideas, like the, the, the World Cup every two years thing. I think that's a horrible concept, horrible idea. It should stay every four years. One thing that I haven't criticized very much and, and actually I'm kind of in favor in is, is the expanded World Cup. I think that the expanded Club World Cup, I should say, the expanded Club World Cup is a really good concept because it gives uh, it gives more opportunity to these these other continents, right, to perform and show their quality. And honestly, it's not even so much about winning. You're probably still going to see the European teams win the majority of competitions, but that's not the point. It opens the door for more competition. It opens more more doors for these leagues to rise. And that goes into the second point. So first point is that it's currently the only method we have of naming a club world champion. The second thing is that this is something like if you're criticizing the club world cup, I'm going to call you extremely Eurocentric. I get it. The UCL is still the most prestigious competition there is. And yes, naming the UCL champion is, is essentially getting the best team in the world at that time. (laughs) I don't think many people would, would argue that fact. The problem is, is that it's not the only soccer played in the world. And I think that people need to kind of step back and understand that the game is not just for Western Europe. The game is for the globe. It's for everyone. And I would like to continue to see the development of soccer in North America. I'd like to see the continuous development of soccer in South America. I'd like opportunities to be given to some of these massive, massive Brazilian Argentine clubs. I'd love for MLS to continue its growth trajectory. I'd love for Mexican clubs to get some of the, the you know, they, they consistently are underrated in the, in the global scale, um, where a lot of times I think teams like Club America, Monterey, they could probably compete pretty regularly in South America, but they're not really given those types of opportunities. So expanding the World Cup, the Club World Cup, it really get, gives a platform for these leagues and these teams to show that they're of similar quality to some of these other teams in the rest of the world. Yes, there's still a talent gap. If we said multiple times on the show, there's still a talent gap between the Champions League clubs specifically in Western Europe versus the clubs in, in any other parts of the world, including, honestly, in, in Western Europe. There is a huge gap in quality between Bayern Munich and Armenia Bielefields, for example. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just there. It's inherent. There, there's like this extreme money ball scenario playing out in Western Europe that if people that follow the show are, are familiar with baseball, I mean, if you think it's bad in Major League Baseball, You've seen nothing like what it's like in, in Western Europe and the UCL. Um, there's just, it, you're, you're never competing with some of these larger clubs. So the Club World Cup kind of gives this platform and this opportunity with the prize money and the, and, and the publicity and things like that to grow their brand, gain more dollars, be able to fund more, fund more transfers, things like that, fund their academy systems and raise the profile uh, abroad for these club teams. I'm a huge fan of the Club World Cup. It's not perfect. It needs to be retooled. But at current, currently, it's the only mechanism that we have of naming a club world champion. And shame on any media member for, for talking it down. None of the teams do anything like anything but play, give their best in these tournaments, honestly. Like yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a platform for these South American, North American teams, as I just said. But also, if you look at Chelsea's roster and the way that the squads that they put out for these games, it was a full strength roster. 
Last year, Bayern Munich, same thing. The year before that, Liverpool, same thing. They, they consistently play their top. They do not disrespect their opponents and play academy kids or something like this. No, they come out with their full strength and they give it their all. There was a couple things to add before we move on to the next thing. Um, I remember when Liverpool played it a couple years ago, there were questions to Jurgen Klopp because the, the fixture list was so congested. There were reporters asking Jurgen Klopp if he would consider sending a basically reserve team uh, to Saudi Arabia to play the club world cup and Klopp shot back. Like I'm not going to disrespect the competition. I'm not going to disrespect the trophy um, by doing that. That's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so very good point that the media members are really the only ones saying that every coach and player wants to win this thing. And then um, you can't tell me that trophy didn't matter to Brazilian fans. If Palmeiras would have pulled off the upset and defeated Chelsea in the final it would have been parties in Brazil, in Brazil. Uh, there were rumors reports that I saw that Tiago Silva went, was in the Chelsea locker room before the game saying how much this game mattered, um, because of the cultural impact and things that it has outside of Europe. Um, that Brazil wants a Brazilian team wants to win this bad, just like if there was an MLS team in it from winning CONCACAF champions league, every single American soccer fan would be pulling for that team to pull off a Cinderella upset and beat the European team. It would be incredible. It would be a story that would be told for years about how an MLS team did that. So it is an incredibly important trophy in one that should not be put down just like any trophy. So those are my thoughts on that. And you can't tell me, and what would we have done if Chelsea would have lost? We would bash them for losing to Palmeiras or that's what a lot of people would do. So what are they supposed to do? Like it's a loot. Is this supposed to be a lose, lose situation for Chelsea that it's a small trophy if they win it. And if they all, and if they lose it, they're terrible. I don't know. What what are you supposed to do in that situation? But. Yeah. Yeah. It's a no win scenario is basically what Craig Burnley put them in. Honestly, it's not, it's not, fair to say that and and to downplay these types of competitions when again what you said at the beginning at the top of this like Chelsea had never this is the one trophy Chelsea hasn't won yet so like Mm -hmm. it was their opportunity to complete the trophy case Palmeiras their fans were crying sobbing in the stands after the result like this is just it's an extremely important trophy the fan the fans of uh, Monterey were calling for the for the manager's job after he lost in the quarterfinals come on like it's this is a real trophy it means a lot to a lot of people yeah exactly on to the next thing because we spent a lot of time on the FIFA World Club World Cup but that's okay um Jordan Peefock we have to talk about him Vince this guy doesn't get called into the national team. So what's he do? He just continues to score goals. He keeps doing it. Uh, he scored again last weekend. I'm trying to pull up who exactly he scored against. I know he's scored, I believe, 14 league goals this year. Um, he's putting the ball in the back of the net, arguably better than any other USMNT striker. Not even arguably. He's doing it better than anyone. He continues to not get called into the national team and not really get a chance. Um, Not sure why, but he continues to just do it. And his form has continued in his last two games. He has three goals. Um, What do you have to say about PFOC? There are two players that, um, that on form have zero business not being called into these teams at this point. 
And we're going to talk about the other one in a second, so I'll leave it. But the other is Jordan Bivak. We have had zero, zero players really kind of put their stake, their claim to the number nine position and just not let go, take it with both hands and not let go. Um, Jordan Bivak has not been given many opportunities to stake that claim. When he has, he, he scored a late, late um, headed goal against Honduras to advance us to the, to the Nations League final. Um, and then he gets one opportunity, if I'm remembering right, in World Cup qualifiers. I think that was, was it against Canada? Was that the game he started? I believe so. I think. And that game didn't go well for anybody, let alone just him. And, and, and honestly, a striker is really only as good as their supply. Um, the supply, we've talked about this in the last show, the supply and the creativity of the U.S. national team in World Cup qualifiers has not been good enough. So I don't know how you can throw out a striker that's been scoring at such a high clip for his, for his club team um, and not bring him back and not give him more opportunity to play for the national team and stake his claim specifically when we're not creating a ton of chances. It's not his fault. It's honestly not Pepe's fault um, either that they're not scoring at higher clips for the national team when they're not getting opportunities. They're just simply not. Um, So if it was me, I would be calling in PFOC. I'd be calling in Pepe. And I honestly might be calling in Sargent. Those are the three strikers that I'd be calling at this point. Yeah. And uh, I said three goals last two games. I left out a few games ago when he scored four. So he has seven goals in the last four games and an assist on uh, on Sunday, the day before Valentine's Day. He has just been lighting it up. These, this is uh, his last four games by foot mob rating, which is – you can call it what it is. It's kind of subjective in some places. But 9.7, 7.3, 9.1, 8.6. Those are very good numbers. Now, some people are going to say, well, look at the competition he's playing. I don't care. He's putting the ball in the back of the net, and that's what you want your striker to do. Give him an opportunity. Yeah, I agree. And, and is the Swiss League, um, is it is it that drastically different or worse than Major League Soccer competition? I don't see any Major League Soccer strikers scoring at the same clip that he is right now. Nobody's getting the golden boot in Major League Soccer right now. So it's just, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. And particularly, like, we're saying he doesn't do it against premium competition. Didn't he score two? Two? At least we scored one against Manchester United. Scored a late one against... Man U, I remember yeah. that one. Um, a very, very late one that salvaged, I believe, a draw against Man U. And yeah, he he's doing it against top comp. It actually won the game for young boys. It, they won two to one against Man U on a PFOC goal in the 90th minute. Um, and so th- he's doing it against top competition. We can't even use that argument because yeah. he is doing it against teams like Man U. Yeah, I get that like week in, week out, he's not playing the greatest competition, but it, it, are we really are we really going to make that argument when, you know, Giassi Zardes is consistently playing against, you know, the San Jose Earthquakes, who we've seen all the video clips about their defending? It just <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me, um, you know, how we can make that argument of like, oh, well, you know, he's only doing it in Swiss League. It, are, are we really sticking up? Our, our noses to, to the Swiss league. I, I, and I'm a fan of MLS. We, I, we just talked about how I th- think that MLS is going to win CCL this year, but like, I just, I don't understand how we could possibly not rate the Swiss league 
and not rate Jordan Peefock's performances based upon his competition in the Swiss League when it's not like the MLS is this premier competition that that deserves so much more, you know, prestige. Right. And he's playing in Champions League. So the competition thing is like another moot point because you are playing in Champions League. It might just be the group stage every year, but you're there and you're playing against those guys. So very, uh, very good season by PFOC. Hopefully it continues. Hopefully he gets the call in March. We'll see though. We'll see where Berhalter's mind is. Um, The other player that we mentioned that's in form that didn't get a call, hasn't got a call the last couple windows is John Brooks. He was in the uh, foot mob Bundesliga team of the week. He had another really good game. Uh, John Brooks now just continues to do it. And if we're going with the argument of we're bringing in players who are in form, you cannot ignore these two. John Brooks, ever since that argument was made about being in form, has been in form. Um, So where was he in the last window? I don't know. Greg Berhalter will never tell us but he's playing very well. It's I've made this argument consistently on this show and social media. The argument that he's not in form is incredibly misguided. He may not have been in form for like four or five games, I think in late October, early November. Other than that, he's been in fine to good form all season. Um, Now, if you want to talk about his performances in the national team, totally different story. I completely agree. The goal against Canada was bad. It was yeah. bad. As simple as that. He, he hasn't played well in, in, in CONCACAF qualifying. I don't think ever. So, so like, I completely understand that argument, but don't call it form. <laughs> that's, that's always been my, 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 like my pet peeve with this thing with Burhalter is just be transparent, call it a personality thing. Um, you know, say he just doesn't fit team dynamics right now, but the ball is in his court. Like he's, he, we're, we have the open door to this, but for right now, we're just leaving him out of the team and letting him just focus on his club situation. Say, say something like that. Um, you know, if you want to call it national team form, then call it national team form. But specifically, Burhalter keeps saying that it's his, cl- his, his club form. And that's a problem. It's not his club form. Clearly, it's not his club form. He's playing extremely well. He's been playing extremely well since, since literally the last games of um, before the, the winter break in the Bundesliga. He, he played perfectly fine in the last couple of games there. He came back in January and played extremely well to begin this half of the season. There's nothing wrong with John Brooks' form for Wolfsburg. There's nothing wrong with it. If, if Brooks doesn't get called in March... And assuming he continues a fine form and continues playing well in Bundesliga and doesn't get the call in March, I want to see Burhalter questioned by reporters of you can't hide behind this being form. It's like, look, you're the coach. You make the decision. It's okay you didn't bring in John Brooks, but why? And don't hide behind form. Why is it that he isn't here? Just tell us because we, we want to know. We deserve to know why. And I think I hope John Brooks knows. And I hope that Berhalter hasn't just been like, ah, eh, you're just not playing that well for Wolfsburg. Whenever John Brooks is like, really? I, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Um, so we'll yeah. see. But if John Brooks doesn't get called in, I want to see him pressed on it. I want to see Berhalter questioned and, and tell us why. Yeah. And that just goes back to the media thing. It's like, 
I get that you don't want to be belligerent or get your media credentials pulled, but at some point there needs to be this conversation with the national media of like, we need to stop pulling our punches a little bit too. Like ask some poignant questions, get some real mm-hmm. feedback. Don't take the, you know, the, the, you know, she's just not in great form for his club. Take that and say, okay, follow up question. What specifically, what specific actions are you upset about his club? Like which specific games are you pointing to? What specific traits, what specific, mm-hmm. what specific aspects of his game do you think are not up to form? Because just saying form for Wolfsburg, that's just, it's not good enough explanation, especially yeah. when he's turning in, in team of the week performances. Yeah, 100% agree. We could make the same argument for Joe Scally, but that's beyond the point. <laughs> yeah. On to the next, on to our last, last discussion of USMNT in the deep end. There's, you know, you ever have that itch, Vince, that you just can't get rid of? Maybe it's on a weird part of your back, but it just, you just can't ever get rid of it. It's always hanging around. That's Josie Altador. <laughs> Josie, Josie Altador is officially going to the New England Revolution. He's getting paid a lot of money, so I don't blame him, uh, from Toronto and New England. <laughs> um, Josie Altador, Altador is now a member of the New England Revolution, and we have to ask the question, is it a possibility come World Cup time, assuming we make it? Is it a possibility Josie Altador is on that roster? So if he has an absolutely incredible season, um, that's basically what it would take, and nobody currently with the team um, you know, steps up. We, it's not a secret. We haven't figured out the number nine on the U S men's national team. There is an argument to say that we, that we have um, I've certainly made it. I don't think that Ricardo Pepe has done anything to deserve being taken out of the lineup in any of the three games that we just played. I was pretty upset um, when Jesus Ferrer started the first one. And I was pretty upset when Giassi Zardes played in against Canada. I thought that uh, Pepe should have been playing all three, but albeit like nobody really has kind of taken this with both hands and said, this is my job. Now you're not taking this away from me. And part of that is the chance creation. And part of that is actually legitimate. Nobody really has taken it hold. Um, So as long as that's the case, as long as people are middling poor form for their clubs, Josie Altador will remain kind of on the precipice of the situation, whether we like it or not. And he, but he needs to prove that A, he's healthy and that B, he's back to being the elite goal scorer that he can be to even get a look. Um, so I think that he needs to, to get healthy. Adam Books is going to get sold in the, in the summer transfer window. So if he kind of takes that starting role alongside Gustavo Bo, plays a really good season. Let's say he gets 12 to 15 goals. That's probably when you're going to see, um, see him get a look at the U S men's national team. So I think we would both agree. The door is cracked open. It's not closed. And I think it's, it's because of the position he plays. If he played any other position, it's like, no man, like we appreciate your time with the national team, but like the youth is here. The, the next generation has arrived. We have depth at every position, but it's that one position where no one has grabbed it. And it's been up for since he's left, since he 
hasn't been playing for the national team, no one has come in and been like, okay, I'm a striker now. And that yeah. continues to be an issue. Yeah. So if he does play very well in the, and that's what it would take. It would take a double digit goal season in MLS. Maybe he's there come November. Um, if he plays really well in MLS and no one's grabbed it, I'm not against it either. I know some people are going to be like, no, don't bring him. But if he has a really good season in MLS, returns to the Altidore form that we know, then I'm not against it, especially if none of our other strikers have grabbed it by the horns. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's probably the, the right tactic to take is saying, listen, if nobody else has been able to step up and he's performing well, um, at that point, you're kind of trying everything. And, and I don't disagree with him getting taken. Now, I'm, I'm going to throw in the caveat. I don't think that he'll remain healthy. It just doesn't seem like his body is, is, is at that point at his age. Um, and I do think that Ricardo Pepe is going to turn on. I also think Josh Sargent is going to turn the corner as well. So I, I, I'm fairly confident that our strikers are going to figure this out over the next couple of months, specifically as we figure out the chance creation issues from the wing in the midfield. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think that the door will get cracked enough for him to enter the picture, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't see it happening, but if everything falls in Altidore's lap and it's a perfect situation, bring him in and we'll see what happens moving on to our next segment of course it is soccer at home talking about everything going on with soccer here in the uh, united states everything going on whether it be mls usl future mls teams uh, a lot of things to talk about but the first thing that has been on my mind today an incredible look for mls there's been some incredible videos uh, put out to hype up the MLS season. But another thing that is getting me hyped for MLS is the kits that have been released uh, in the past couple days. We have the Colorado Rapids, New England Revolution, New York Red Bulls, Austin FC, the Timbers, uh, the Sounders, the Galaxy. All, I believe, today releasing incredible unique kits something that we usually couldn't say about mls usually last year we all complained it was all it was the stripe over the shoulder the three stripes over the shoulder every kit looked the same just a different color but these mls kits this year so far have blown me away and i love most of them they're they're really good and i wonder if adidas kind of just heard our cries um, over the last couple of seasons. I don't think it's been any secret that we've basically just been in, getting hand-me-down templates from, from other leagues, other teams, and it's been just so obvious. Um, and, and there's been zero thought process into it, zero creativity. They haven't been interesting. There was the running joke um, of basically every single away kit was just a white T-shirt. <laughs> um, yeah. There was too many too many uh, like black jerseys, just solid black jerseys too. Like it, it's just, when are we kind of getting over this like, you know, straight white or black t-shirt type of look that MLS jerseys have been getting. And it seems like they've kind of gotten that feedback and have responded in kind. Um, Austin FC is this light green. You've got um, Charlotte's that, that is a black kit, but it's not plain. It's got a lot of like mint accents that look really nice. The Galaxy um, has a really cool looking collar with the stars. Um, 
you know, the, the, not to say anything about the Timbers jersey, which the Timbers jersey is uh, interesting, creative. <laughs> the, yes, the fact yes. that they, it, it's just basically got like roses all over it um, for the Rose City. I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan, but I can see why some other folks would like it. And I'm not going to knock anybody for being creative when the main when the main problem has been that you have not been creative. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that. And then the Sounders, specifically the Sounders, like along with their Jimi Hendrix jersey last year that's carrying over to this year as the secondary kit, um, they came out with their, you know, normal rave green kit, but with a uh, like blue checkerboard type of pattern in the middle of it. And it just looks really sweet, man. It looks really cool. I think the Sounders mm-hmm. might have the best jerseys in the league. Oh, see, I'm on the more side of I love the Portland ones. The Seattle ones are are good to me. I'm not gonna knock creativity, like you said, but I'm a I'm a huge fan of Portland's because of the creativity and uniqueness, uh, which a lot of these kits have, thankfully. Like take from these cities and use use their uniqueness. Like it's called the Rose City. Why don't we put roses on one of our jerseys? It's it's a great idea. The Colorado one has. Uh, some mountains in it, which I love. But I just love how there's uniqueness and part. You can see parts of the city and the area in these jerseys because that was something that was desperately missing. Like, what do you think of when you think Los Angeles? You think stars. Let's put stars on the jersey. Who would have thought? Um, and it looks really good. So I'm a big fan of a lot of these. Um, like you said, the Charlotte one looks nice. If we continue as MLS kits release in these next few days and coming week or so and they keep looking this good um i think mls uh, jersey sales are going to be through the roof this year yeah i i agree and that's really what's kind of missing you kind of have to get this merchandise thing going from an mls perspective really start to take hold in their respective markets um and it doesn't help with being creative and trying to connect with the cities so i i think it's a it's a great um a great look that they're putting on now and if you have time to look at it, go look at Austin FC's um, video releasing it and, and revealing their jersey. It's it's incredible. Very big fan um, of everything building up to this MLS season. And of course, we talked about it at the beginning of the episode, but it's time to talk about it some more. The CONCACAF Champions League is officially back. Um, we're in the round of 16, unless you're the New England Revolution, who is already through to the quarterfinals. Um, we've already talked about how high we are on MLS teams in this tournament this year. Anything else as far as um, j- other than just hope for the tournament this year, that, that this does feel like there's a lot of momentum this year as far as building and continuing to build. This is going to be a big hurdle when it happens. I don't know if this is the year an MLS team wins CONCACAF Champions League, but when it does happen, it's a big hurdle and a very big achievement to do in this region. And I hope it's this year. Yeah. The biggest problem MLS has faced in, in tackling this conversation, you alluded this earlier, is the fact that they're in preseason mode when it kicks off. So when you're on the wrong side of the bracket, and this is one of the reasons why I say like, look, I think that the revolution have a very good looking roster specifically, like they've filled it out with some veterans on the bench, Josie Altador, we just mentioned, um, Omar Gonzalez is another one. 
they, they have like a few players like this that have kind of gone through these types of, of competitions before. Um, so they're not going to be, they're, they're not going to, their eyes aren't going to be too wide for this. Um, Carlos Hill is one of the best players in the league. It, it's just, it's, it's the problem for them is that they're going to face the Mexican competition quickly. Um, you really, you really kind of have to look at the bracket from an MLS perspective, not really because you can't match up with these players, these, these teams, like specifically the revolution. Now that they're through from through the quarterfinals, like they're going to play Pumas next. And I mentioned Pumas is not the Pumas of old. They're they're not like this extremely strong team. They had a really good run in the Ligia last year, but they don't really scare me. What, what makes me think that the revolution might not get by that tie is the fact that they're playing them so early. Pumas is in mid-season form, Revolution or not. So there's this kind of like handicapped spot where they're going to have to be playing a team that's of equal caliber, maybe just a little bit behind in terms of their um, strength of their roster. But that team that they're playing that's of similar quality is in mid-season form while they're in preseason form. Now you're really in preseason form for the first, I'd say month, month and a half to two months um, of your mm-hmm. season. And then you can kind of start to get your form and, and round it out. So once you get to the later stages of the CCL, uh, as it's currently constructed, it shouldn't really be an excuse for MLS teams anymore. In fact, like you, the argument couldn't be made that you are going to be healthier than some of those teams that are, are just entering, let's say, the, the Ligia for the Clasora in Liga Mekis. So like, I, I don't know. Um, I, I just don't know if that's really an excuse once you get to the semifinals and finals anymore. So, yeah. so if you're, if you're on the wrong, if you're on the right side of the bracket, I don't think that that's really going to be much of an issue. And that's why I say NYCFC, Seattle, both of which are pretty much too deep at every position. I, I think that they have a really good shot at this this year. Yeah, I would agree with the, it's not really an excuse when you get to the later rounds of the tournament. Um, but I will also say that I think it might end up hurting new England a little bit, not playing in the round of 16 because it is in preseason. They are in preseason mode right now. So yeah. a couple games would help a lot to get that flow uh, obviously you do run the risk of getting knocked out, but to be able to play a couple games and get that flow together, um, get back in the, in the rhythm, back into the rhythm of playing games. I think that would have helped the revolution, especially being on the harder side of the bracket, but um, advancing to the, to the quarterfinals without even playing a game, no one's going to complain about if you're, so part of the revolution. Uh, but I, I just, I, I, we, I can just go back to the part that I do think this is the year. And um, what will the reaction be? If um, I will, if, if an MLS team wins it this year, they have that feather in their cap for a long time of yeah. we were the first MLS team to do it. And that's going to be really cool when it happens. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to talk about real quick on what you said about the revolution, like, you're absolutely right. And I think that that's been, um, been talked about within like the revolution circles over the last couple of days, because Cavalli um, of the Haitian league haven't really played all that much over the last couple of years. So, so it's not like they were going to, per, to, to pose really any 
um, threat, either from a form perspective, like a fitness perspective or a quality perspective, like they, they're not playing a ton of games, um, that, that country is just unfortunately in, in some turmoil for themselves. And so like, it's not like they're, they would have been playing this team. That's really kind of like, um, in, in great form, have played a lot of games the last couple of years They they haven't, they've, they've had a lot of interruptions through the pandemic and, and, um, the political situation there. So, so like, they probably would have been able to utilize these two games as additional preseason games. And so that's why they have only scheduled two preseason games. So now you're going to have a situation where unless that they can find some more friendlies over the next couple of, of weeks, and even if they do find those friendlies, they're just not going to be getting the same type of, of game time. Um, that they would have if they were playing in these two, two, uh, these two weeks against Cavalli. So it's going to pose an issue for them. And it's something to watch specifically, again, like they're going to play Pumas in the next round. So um, they're going to have that much less time to prepare for that team that's going to be in midseason form. And that's another reason why I say I, I don't think that they'll get very far. But we'll see. Hopefully I'm wrong. Um, to yeah. answer your other question about like, what would the reaction be if an MLS team won? We're, we've been knocking on the door for so long that I think the reaction would be, we finally arrived. It's finally happened. And now we can relax. And now we can actually challenge these trophies on a regular basis. Leagues Cup is expanding for 2023. We'll be competing regularly there. CCL, et cetera. They're going to probably um, redo the FIFA calendar. So the preseason thing might not actually be a problem as much as it used to be. So all these things. And I just think that you're going to see MLS teams just consistently challenge for these trophies from now on. Yeah, I would agree that that it would really be a point of arrival it kind of feels like we're there, but we just want that final product. We want that, okay, we finally did it. We finally defeated Liga Emekis in a final. And so that'll feel really good um, whenever that does happen. Hopefully it's this year. On to our next point, though, of soccer at home. I'm keeping a close eye on St. Louis City at Sevens, uh, not only because I'm from around that area, and I'm super excited for St. Louis to get their MLS team but I look at what what's happening with Charlotte and their roster construction is madness, not only through faults of their own, some through parts <laughs> through faults of their own. Um, but St. Louis today released a new name, released the original name for their home stadium. It's going to be called Centene Stadium. It's a worldwide healthcare provider based in St. Louis. Um I honestly assumed that it was going to be something to do with Budweiser. I thought Budweiser would capitalize on being able to have Bush stadium for baseball and maybe like Budweiser stadium or Budweiser park for MLS. Uh, It's Centene stadium though. Really what I just have to say about this is one, I think St. Louis is incredibly lucky that their start got pushed back a year due to COVID. If most people will remember St. Louis was supposed to start this year. This was supposed to be St. Louis's inaugural year in MLS. It was pushed back due to COVID, but because of that, St. Louis has been able to take their time uh, dotting their I's and crossing their T's as it relates to an academy. They have an MLS Next Pro team that's going to be playing this year. Um, Plenty of time to construct the roster, plenty of time to do things like finish your stadium that's going to be ready for day one next MLS season. I feel really good that St. Louis is doing all the right things, which is awesome to see for any team entering the league. 
and it just um, seeing the announcement today and how far the stadium has already come, it's definitely going to be ready for next season. It's, it's nice to see teams doing it. We think we have had no on-field product yet, but we think the right way. Yeah. The other thing that I'm excited about is that they're starting um, with their MLS next pro team this year. So, so they're really going to be able to, to evaluate some of these kids that are coming up through the Academy and St. Louis is traditionally a really great area for oh, um, youth soccer. Yeah. yeah. So, so like there's, they've St. Louis city has, has already had like a couple of youth national team players for those of, uh, that are obsessive like me and follow these things. <laughs> um, so, so it's going to be interesting to see some of those players be able to get some professional minutes for a season, really get evaluated, really see their growth and say like, okay, they're actually ready for the next level and then pull them over to the MLS team. Um, and the other thing that they're able to do is like just sign some young players from other parts of the world and uh, go ahead and establish them into the MLS next pro team. They can basically do that through the rest of this season. Um, you know, so they, it doesn't necessarily need to be for day one, but maybe in July or something like that. They sign somebody that's that's in off season in Europe and say like, hey, come over. We'll keep you in form for the World Cup, um, and you can you can just you know continue to, to to play throughout the MLS next pro season, and then come in after the World Cup and we'll incorporate you into to the full MLS team. Those types of things are available at their disposal because of the strategy. So it's really interesting to see what they're doing. Um, I'm a big fan of it. I think that they're doing all the right things. Like you said, obviously time will tell whether or not we're right about that, but I'm excited about what they're putting together. Yeah. Yeah. We can all speculate, um, but we won't really know until the first ball is kicked in 2023. Um, And really even then first year teams aren't expected to make the playoffs, but you want to see a good foundation. You want to see a good academy, which looks like it's happening. You want to see a really good home stadium, which is happening. Um, so very excited for all these things happening. Of course, like I said, their home stadium will be called Centene Stadium. Um, I'm glad it's not like a tongue twister. It's not terrible. <laughs> it it kind of it kind of rolls off the tongue. Um, so it works. Um, it works, and I'm super excited about it. So what is Centene anyway? Uh, what what's what's Centene? Centene is a healthcare provider, um, like a managed care company, I believe it's called. Um, so they are ranked actually number 24 in the Fortune 500 based in yeah. St. Louis. So they're a Fortune 25 company um, wow. based in St. Louis and should be awesome. Um, it's a good partner to have, especially if you have that wealthy of a partner in your city to be able to capitalize on that, I think is awesome. Um I hadn't heard much of Centene before today. I did a little, little bit of research on them, um, but they have clients and things all over the world. So it's a, it's a worldwide cool. brand. People in the healthcare world probably knew exactly what I was talking about when I said Centene, um, but uh, really exciting that they could get such a big partner on board. I'm still waiting to see how Budweiser partners with them because it's going to happen. Um, yeah. It might just be some beer stands or whatever but I'm expecting a big Budweiser partnership for this. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be a Jersey sponsorship. That'd be pretty cool. That, actually, that's going to be Purina. That was already announced. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah, you're right about that. Yep. Yeah, so going to be Purina and Budweiser is going to get in there somehow. A Budweiser jersey would be awesome though. On to the next final segment of our podcast, as usual. Show me the money. 
all about um, things related to money in American soccer, whether that be TV ratings, TV contracts, expansion clubs, anything you can think of involved with money is discussed here. This one is about the growth of the league, Vince. Everyone knows that Major League Baseball is in some struggling times right now. They haven't started spring training as they were supposed to this week because of the lockout. Players and owners have gotten nowhere on discussions for when Major League Baseball is going to end their lockout. Why is this important to soccer here in the United States? Uh, Because MLS is usually competing with Major League Baseball for eyeballs during their season. And can MLS, really the question I do have for you is, can MLS capitalize on this and get some of those regional eyeballs that have been on baseball teams for the last years and years our, can can MLS get some baseball fans to go, hey, this is when I'm usually watching baseball. I might as well turn on my local soccer team and see what they're doing uh, for their entertainment. Can that happen? Will that happen? And how much is that going to help MLS ratings if it does happen? The, the short answer is yes. Um, they absolutely can capitalize on this. The, the longer answer is essentially in a less crowded market, and especially considering that Major League Soccer um, directly competes with baseball throughout essentially the entire baseball season. And that's by design because we already were expecting that the ba- if you look at the, the demographics on sports viewership, like baseball skews extremely older and soccer skews extremely younger. Um, so essentially what you have is one fan base that's sort of aging out one fan base that's growing into the market. Um, Baseball taking a year off, let's say, like let's just say that that happens, um, basically seeds the market to Major League Soccer, allows them to step front and center. There's nothing else to talk about over the summer other than Major League Soccer. Specifically, this is a World Cup year, so these sports, um, all the sports platforms and things like that would already be, have, have been planning to talk about soccer over the summer. However, the World Cup's not until the winter. So what else are you going to talk about at this point? Major League Soccer would step into the forefront of that conversation, um, assuming that we have the big media deal that we're all kind of expecting as well. Hopefully those media partners jump the gun and take the opportunity. So yes. If you have a situation where Major League Baseball is not playing the season, Major League Soccer can stand to benefit from that extremely, extremely well. Like they they would be able to take that that market capitalization and really turn it into some specific um, growth. And it's already happening. It's already been happening for a long time. Major League Soccer is growing in popularity. Baseball is declining in popularity. That's been happening for years. So this would just accelerate that in my mind. Yeah. And what does ESPN do when they have no Sunday night baseball? There you go. MLS. There you go. Uh, There's, there's definitely some huge potential here. And I, I'm not going to wish that baseball doesn't start because I don't want to do that. It would hurt their business, whatever. Um, But there is such an opportunity for MLS to capitalize on here. If, and it doesn't sound like baseball is going to start on time. That sounds so unlikely. Um, yeah. So even to capitalize on it at the beginning of the season would be 
incredible, incredible, an incredible opportunity for these MLS teams. Hopefully it's something that can happen if baseball doesn't start until later in the year, or maybe it doesn't start at all. I don't know. Um, another thing we wanted to discuss though, Vince, was today, of course, the return of UEFA Champions League and the growth of the game was on full display on Twitter. Uh, there was a video tweeted by, I believe, uh, USMNT only. Did I get that right? I want to make sure I get that right. I think um, that's right. I think so. Okay, USMNT only. Someone had tweeted them a video in their college class that there was like he took a video around the uh, the the hall they were in, and there was like seven laptops in view of the camera that were on Champions League, PSG, Real Madrid. Soccer's arrived, Vince. It, we have kids watching uh, Champions League during class. It's an incredible feeling. Well, and again, this goes back to what I said. It's like soccer skews extremely young. And so what you've been seeing over the last several decades is essentially soccer has been growing in popularity among the youth. Um, and then they've carried that into their adulthood. So, so people like me, um, you know, I, I, I've been around for a little bit longer than those kids, but like <laughs> people like me have grown in popularity in the early 2000s as soccer became more widely available. And now the game is extremely available. Like there's what, 75 games on a weekend, essentially that I could choose from just from the European leagues alone. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy the amount of coverage that it gets. So all of these, uh, college students have kind of grown up with nothing but access to these yeah. players, these teams. And so now they're kind of pulling that into like, they're becoming college seniors, things like that. And then once they get jobs, go out into the marketplace. And so essentially you're going to continue to see the growth of popularity within these demographics. And as those demographics age into their careers, it becomes more of the, the primary spending sports market. Um, so yeah. it's just exciting to see that essentially the entire class is watching the champions league when they're supposed to be in a seminar. Probably they should probably be studying, but Hey, why not study soccer? That's cool. Watch Messi. <laughs> I have. Yeah, exactly. That's like, you're learning from the best right there. Um, a personal anecdote for this story. I was in college two years ago. Uh, I was still in college and I remember doing this, this seeing these scenes took me back because I remember sitting in those lecture halls during the champions league time windows. And I was like, well, I know what I'm doing during class and it's not going to be paying attention um, I'm going to watch Champions League. And I remember that there were a couple other people in my class. I would look to my right and there'd be someone I'd, I'd see their laptop. I was like, oh, that's the game I'm watching. And then a few, someone a couple rows in front of me watching the same game. And that's just the growth of the game. And it's it is great to see. Um, one of them I remember would always wear a Pogba jersey on Champions League days. And what I would say to him, we'd talk about the game. And I'd say, you know, besides I'm sorry that he was a Man U fan. We just talk about the game, and I think that also grows it. Um, I think it also grows just by people talking about it. And you see other people. If I'm not a soccer fan and I see, like, seven people in my class watching this game, I'm going to be like, is this a big game? Like, should I check this out? What's going on here? And, um, and I think that that also helped grows it. And you, maybe you get a couple people like, hey, what are you watching? Oh, I'm watching Champions League. And maybe that's another way that we get into people's minds 
in their hearts of soccer. And then they watch it and fall in love. And then everyone's watching champions league and the teachers don't even try to teach. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and it, it, that actually is like my early career was very similar. Like I would be trying to find a way to watch the game, whether that be just like making sure I take my lunch at a specific time, um, yeah. you know, so head out to the bar. I, I, I would meet some clients over the years that, that were into soccer. Maybe they traveled abroad frequently, things like that. And so we would actually end up meeting at the bar for Champions League games. Um, now, specifically through the pandemic, I work from home. So it's, it's fairly easy for, for me to put a game on. Um, and I know that a lot of other people have the same type of experience, again, specifically through the pandemic as work from home has become more popular. Um, but it's just, it, it's incredible to see the rise of the sport from where I started watching in the early 2000s to now. Um, it, it's it, like we knew we'd get here. I think that I can speak for a lot of soccer fans where I say like we knew we'd get here, but it's just incredible to see where we're at. And it was the same way when, when Pulisic won the Champions League last year. Um, I said to a lot of my friends, like I didn't doubt that we'd get here. But after Kuva just a few years ago, I didn't think that we'd get here this fast. And that mm-hmm. was pretty cool to see. And I also think the same exact way about like just the popularity of sport. I, I tweeted like a, a thread a while ago about like just how popular MLS has become, at least in stadiums. It hasn't really translated to television ratings. I think that that's, you know, that's Pandora's box and we can talk about that a little bit more um, later. But the in, if you look at just the stadiums that they've built, the fan bases that have been like, I spent some, some of my early career in Seattle and it was just cool to, to witness um, Seattle and Portland's fan bases and, and kind of be able to spend some time um, seeing that soccer is extremely popular there. Same thing, you know, spent a little bit of time in LA now in Boston um, and just being able to look at the various fan bases that are growing these pockets of soccer fandom and, and they're, they're, nuances like in boston it is pretty premierly eccentric but it exists it's, it, it's huge soccer is huge in popularity in boston um whereas like seattle portland it, it's more based upon mls and those mls teams have really good fan bases and, the, and those teams are treated just like any other uh, any other sports team in the market you go down to la obviously they're more a little bit more focused on like league mx uh, a lot of shivas fans down there a lot of club america fans and it's just, it's extremely interesting to view these types of pockets of fandom in and around the country and see the growth of popularity in this game. It exists. There's silos. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a lot of silos of fandom and I talk about that a lot, but it, there are, it exists and it's, it's, it's basically on us to try to break down those silos and show that this is one sport we can kind of all come together and, um, show that the the sport deserves to be mainstream now. Yeah, yeah, and we're definitely getting there. Um, I know that just speaking from personal experience and you talking about those pockets, um, there have been certain places that I've lived where if I'm wearing my Liverpool hat, some people won't even like acknowledge it, say anything about it. I remember I was in the grocery store in a place I used to live. It was a smaller town um, and it was my Liverpool hat. It has the liver bird on it and some older woman complimented it and she was like, I really like that design on your hat. She's like, is that like a, like a mythical creature or something? I was like, no, it's, it's for Liverpool uh, football <laughs> club. And she, and she was like, what? <laughs> yeah. But now I live in Wisconsin. 
um, towards the southwest side of Wisconsin. I wear my Liverpool hat out, and people are like, oh, did you see the game over the weekend? Did you see the game? Of course, there's a big one coming up tomorrow, today for people listening, whatever. Um, but if people want to talk about the game, and I think that's awesome. I think that's really cool. And if you're listening to this, talk with your friends about the game. Get them into it um, and just have some fun with it. Make it mainstream. I think that's what we're all trying to do here, Vince. Yep, that's exactly right. That's been my mission. It's one of the main reasons why I started my Twitter account. Um, I just want to kind of talk about soccer. I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. So also a reminder, by the way, for those who are listening, if you like this podcast, which I know a lot of you do, a lot of you have tweeted at us, we thank you very much for that, first of all, uh, that you're enjoying it. We love hearing that people are liking what we're doing. Yeah, we, it makes us feel really good. Uh, so let us know if you like it. If you do like it, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Vince, of course, is at USMNT underscore thoughts. I'm at Dalton Kemper. Uh, if you want our takes the rest of the week, um, but really just uh, let us know if you like, like the podcast, let your friends know, pass it along. We would really appreciate it. Um, if you let people know that we're your favorite USMNT podcast to listen to. Yeah. And if you made it this far, thanks for dealing with some of the technical difficulties. I'm traveling this week. So I think my internet connection <laughs> might've been poor. Um, I think I figured it out for the sec- in time for the second half of the show. So thanks for sticking with us. Absolutely. And I will talk to you next week, Vince. All right. Talk to you next week. Thank you.